Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. We're going to pick up where we left off in our series, The Blessed Life. I encouraged you last time to uh, go online and purchase the book called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway. Eleven years ago, we had an eight-week series about money. And we have not had a series about money since. So if this is your first Sunday with us, you thought, see, pastors talk only about money. Well, I haven't in 11 years. Um, and, And that I need to repent of because God speaks about it all throughout the Bible. And all the resources he's entrusted to us, it's us understanding how do we steward what God has given us. Amen? And so if you're just joining us, pick up uh, from two weeks ago when we started, and we're going to continue today. So open your Bibles and join me in 1 Kings. This morning we're going to begin with the blessed life, looking at 1 Kings chapter 17. Verses 1 through 15. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephah in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephah. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Father, thank you for your word to us. It's eternal. It is just as true in its application now as it was in this moment. Please let our ear be open to hear what you say to us by the Spirit and activate something in us so that there's faith to keep you first in our lives. Amen. God demonstrates his own love for us and that he gave his first and best, Jesus. And he demonstrates by his love that we are first in his life. The only proper response is to relate to him in such a way where it is evident to him and to us that he is first in our lives. 
And so in the blessed life, it really begins with understanding our lives are blessed by God. Even though not always deserving, he still blesses. And he has kept us first in his life. And we want to be those who keep God first in our lives. Amen. I don't know what it may look like for you to keep God first in your life. But it has to be not only in words. Words are part of it. But the heart is really the demonstration that flows into action that says to God, that says to us, to our family, to all around us, God is first in our lives. My prayer for us is that, God, we would keep you first in our lives. That you would be kept first in the life of every individual man and woman. Every child who is part of who we are as a people. Not only in this local expression of God's church, but in the church throughout the world. That he would be first in our marriages. How many say, yes, we need to keep God first in our marriage? So it's not just two people, a twist, but it's a three-stranded cord, not easily broken. And he's the first cord. God, may we keep you first in our marriages. How many realize that requires faith to do that? To keep God first, not just yourself or your spouse. To keep, our fa- to keep you first in our families. To keep you first in our lives at work. To keep you first in our lives in our community. To keep you first in our city. To keep God first in the life of our nation. How many realize there's room for God to be kept first in our nation? I'm praying that rather than drifting from him, we would draw near to him. And not just draw near. Draw near to the point where it's obvious God is first in the life of our nation. I've told the story over the years, so some of you have heard it previously and then more than once. So this is for the benefit of those who've not heard it before and hopefully reigniting something in those who've heard it previously. Um, we have five children. The youngest is 18. And um, there was one moment when we were riding together, my wife and I, with our children, all together, and they were much younger, some of them still in car seats. And whatever trip we were going on, we needed to stop, put gas in the car, and as usual, get snacks for the kids. I got them their favorite treat. I enjoy doing that. Uh, One daughter who was sitting directly behind me, in her booster, she was out of the car seat, she's in the booster now, their phases, car seat, booster, we had one in a car seat, two in a booster, and one out. But we're riding, and as I give them their their treats to one, I pass her her pack of M&Ms. And she opens it, and they're peanut M&Ms, which are the best. (laughs) Just to be clear. You hear the bag, her little hands tear it open. And I just said, hey, can I have one? It's a simple request. She has a whole bag. I only asked for one. So you can imagine my surprise when her response was, no, daddy. So I adjusted my rearview mirror so I could see the face of the one who was unable to make the connection between the one who provided what she was holding and now withholding. And I didn't ask for the bag. I asked for one. And so we had a conversation about it. Reluctantly, she gave me one. Actually, she gave me two. And it became a life lesson, not just for her, not just for my kids, 
but for me. Because in those moments, God says, what a great lesson you taught your daughter. I know, right? Say, yeah, I want to actually talk to you about that. (laughs) Now let's look at how that plays out in your life. It's wonderful to be a parent and to be parented. And I realize in that moment, whether it's M&M's, whether it's dollars, rand, gold, silver, the heart is the same. What does it look like to keep God first in your life? It wasn't about the M&M's. It was about the heart of a little girl who was putting herself ahead of the one who was her provider. And no fault found with her. She's a toddler. But that attitude can stay with you as a teenager and even as an adult. And you can have that heart toward God. So for us in our church, we practice tithing. Tithing means a tenth of the whole. For us, all of our income-producing activity, we believe belongs to God. And according to the scripture, both Old and New Testament, which we'll walk through uh, today and in the following weeks, the tenth actually belongs to God. And it's not payment. It's not repayment. It is us saying, you are first and best in our lives And we want to demonstrate that by the fact that it flows out of our hearts that you get the very best of us and you get the first of anything we have. We talked last time, Cain and Abel, two brothers. They both gave to God. They both presented an offering. Yet it says clearly that God looked on Abel and on his offering with favor. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. They both gave. Why? Cain gave, but his giving made clear that God was not first. With Abel, Abel gave the firstborn of his flock, and he gave the very best, the fat portions. And I don't think he was doing it out of a sense of duty. I think he was simply responding to his love for God, and that it was saying, you are the first and best in my life. And so it just flowed out of him. Does that make sense? I remember, if that doesn't make sense for you, but when I began to, um, when I began a relationship with uh, Marianne, minus at that time, who is now Marianne Jones for the last 27 years, my wife, she got, thank you, she got the best and first because it was my heart toward her. So it was just automatic. You don't have to work it up, Right? Remember that first time you go look at a ring and you didn't realize what diamonds cost? Like, wow, I really do love you. (laughs) You're first and best in my life. How much more with God? Amen? So let's look at this next section here and give context for this. Elijah is a man who serves God. He's not serving himself, and he's not just serving the nation, that he is a messenger uh, on behalf of God. He really is serving God. He has a heart for God. He's got God's heart for people. He actually has this moment where he speaks with the king of the nation, whose name, as we read, is Ahab. Ahab is described as not a good king. Um, Of all the kings... The king who is honored as being the greatest king is David. It's probably why we're most familiar with him. In fact, 
David becomes the king who other kings are sort of compared to, that he walked in the, the ways of his father David, not meaning that it was just David's direct descendant, but in his line where there was three, four generations. The measure was, is this king walking with a heart after God in the way that David did? Some did, some did not, more or less. When it comes to Ahab, it says that Ahab was a king who did not walk in the way of the Lord, who did not walk in the ways of David, who did not honor God, in fact, did evil in the eyes of God. Not only did he do evil in the eyes of God, it says, of all kings, there were none more wicked than Ahab. This is significant because God looks at a nation and he looks at the leadership of that nation. And if the nation's leader, at least here, is not following the way of the Lord, then they're not able to lead in such a way that God's blessing comes on the people as a whole. And so here's Ahab who is doing all this evil in God's sight. And as a result, judgment is coming on the land. Now, when Elijah goes to him and says, it will not rain for the next several years except by my word. That sounds a little, um, I'm sensitive to how it falls on our ears today. Because we're very familiar with watching the weather. And weather men, weather women, they prognosticate. They tell us what's coming, right? It's going to snow. But they have instruments and all these things to tell. No one ever gets on ABC News and says, all right. It's not going to rain for the next three years until I say so. We would all realize that's the last time that person will be aired on the news, right? So how is it that this person who's not a weatherman, not a meteorologist, yet can speak about a climate that's going to affect the nation? He has reason to say what he's saying. It's not just the pizza he had for dinner the night before. So let's look at this as we work our way through this passage and keep in mind the heart of having God first. In 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 through 15, we read that. But now we're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. Verse 14 will probably be very familiar to us, but I want to go back so that you have the context for it. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord, he built it, and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, here's what God says, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place, meaning the temple, for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. Here's verse 14, the one we all know. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Wow. Solomon was the son of David. The king of Israel, so important. Son of, king of. Son of David, king of Israel. It's important that we understand that God is both relational and missional. Son of, daughter of, leader of. In our culture today that places so much of our identity on what we do and less so on who we are, may we return as those who are grounded in the reality that God is both relational and missional. 
You are always a son of or daughter of, even though the leader of may change throughout the course of your life. And your identity needs to be rooted in being a son or daughter of God. Because today you may be the leader of, but tomorrow you may not be, and you don't want your security to rest on what you're doing missionally as much as it's rooted in who you are relationally, so that when missionally you're not king anymore, you're still a son. And you lack no sense of identity or security when you get up. God help us to be the kind of people who when sometimes there's a government shutdown and you're out of work, there's no compensation, there's no work, or worse, maybe you work and you get no pay for it, that your identity and your sense of security is so rooted in who you are relationally that you remain unshakable while there's a temporary change over here. And this, in fact, becomes a moment for God to increase your faith in him because you're faced with a challenge to your faith. And the Bible says, consider it all joy when you encounter various government shutdowns, loss of pay, loss of work, knowing that the testing of your faith means it's not about just a national leader or a local leader. At the end of the day, my faith is being tested as to whether or not God is sovereign and in control, or is my life governed by human beings? But if it's governed by God, then no matter what a human being decides, God still directs my steps. That's where we got to live in faith, while praying, while taking an offering, while blessing people to say, Lord, what do you want to do in me in this season? Don't let me miss it. Why else do we sing the song crushing and, and new wine? Let new wine flow out of your life during this season. The government shut down, but new wine came out of me because I got crushed in the process. There's a woman in the Bible. Her name is Hadassah. At least that's her Jewish name. But she was given another name, Esther. But her birth name is Hadassah, and Hadassah is a type of tree whose leaves, only when they're crushed, do they give off their aroma. There's something in you that God wants to bring out that only crushing can bring about. Son of, leader of. You cannot take your identity from what you do. In the days that I pushed a mail card in a law firm, I despised it, and God reproved me. He said, don't ever define who you are by what you do or your title. You're a son. You're a husband. Well, not yet at that time. You're a brother. You're, there's so many dimensions and facets to you. It is unwise to narrow it down to your occupation. Because you're bigger and broader than that. And you're defined by much more. Elijah knew that God had spoken. The temple, and the temple is not just about a place, it's always the people. We want his name to rest on us. Yes. He says, when my, if he were to shut up the heavens so that there was no rain. So this is not demonic activity. God himself says, if I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain. This is so important. There's sometimes when things happen, adversity, and we tend to assign the adversity to the hand of the enemy, and it might be the hand of God. When your parent disciplines you in love, you're being disciplined not by the enemy. You're being disciplined by the one who loves you. Those aren't the ones you get amens on, I understand. <laughs> we don't like the discipline of the Lord. It's not good, but it is good for us because of what it produces. And if you're without discipline, not good. 
You ever seen an adult without discipline? Yes. <laughs> you get the amens on that one. Little kid in the grocery store like, you need to fix that. If not here when you get home, because it's, it's ugly now, but it's going to be really ugly at 27. A tantrum at 27, like, it didn't look good at two. It doesn't look any better now. God is disciplining the nation because they've drifted away from him. That's why he shut up the heavens so there's no rain to get their what? Attention. I don't know about you, but when my mom disciplined me, she got my attention. Anybody here, your parent ever got your attention by me? Just raise your hand, right? Yeah, the pain is gone, but the attention hopefully remains. You need to pay attention. So God disciplines the whole nation. He shut up the heavens so there's no rain. My whole point is this. Elijah recognized that the nation no longer kept God first in their lives. By the way, they were still tithing, but God wasn't first. I need to say that again. The nation was tithing, but God wasn't first. It just became a sense of duty. The devotion was gone. Psalm 50, God says, I've had it up to here with all your sacrifices. What I really wanted was a heart of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is what rides on your offering. And if thanksgiving isn't riding on your offering, if grumbling is running on it, if complaint is on it, if that smacking in the lips, I got to give to God, it's not an offering. Dad, here's your Father's Day card. Take it. Oh, wow. Thank you. He can't say thank you because there's no thanks in it. You're doing it because you feel like you have to. And God would rather not have it. That's why it says don't give out a compulsion. Your heart should be in it. And if it's not, then let them do the heart work to get to you like, Going back to my daughter, it was a struggle for her to give me M&Ms at first. And what I recognized in that moment, she did not realize I could go back inside and get my own bag of M&Ms. I didn't need hers. I was giving her a moment to share with me. Fact, I've said this before too. I could have ordered a dump truck load of M&Ms, had her stand outside the car, back it up. Boop, 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 boop. No, don't move, don't move. Mm -mm. Keep, keep, keep the bag too. Boop, boop, boop. Go ahead, lift it up. Daddy, I can't. No, you want M&Ms. You're going to have all the M&Ms up to your ears. There's no lack. In our God's ability to give resources to you. You're struggling with what amounts to an M&M to give to God. He's like, do you understand how I could rain M&Ms from heaven? Every day I could bring a torrential storm of it. That's not the issue. The issue is what's coming up from the earth to me that inspires me to give even more. Come on. But here's a moment of discipline in the nation. And so God says, no rain. And it didn't rain for the span of three and a half years. Do you know what happened when there's no rain? Talk about government shutdown. We're talking livestock, dying, no water. You ever been thirsty? You ever been hungry? Animals are dying. King Ahab has got teams of people going out to search for food. And... The whole nation has drawn away from God. And Ahab, hearing uh, this moment going on, is distraught. The famine not only affected the unrighteous, but it affected the righteous too. 
This is why the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. So you have to have your mind renewed to the idea, why do bad things happen to good people? We're not thinking like God is a father. He's so good. He says he causes his son to shine on the just and the unjust. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. He, he, but what the difference is, those who are just, those who are righteous and in relationship with him, they know how to endure those seasons because their confidence isn't in the resources. Their confidence is the one who provides the resources. He's going to care for us in this season. And the way we live in that moment allows the unjust to kind of go, you know someone or something I don't. So famine's going on and God provides. So he tells Elijah, he says, I want you to go to this place. And he provides for him supernaturally. He commands, only God can do this. He commands ravens to bring him food and meat in the morning and food and meat in the evening. Talk about Federal Express, Prime, Amazon, whatever. Next day, two days. Food is being brought to him. Then the brook he's drinking from drives up. You ever had a moment where things just dried up in your life? And you think it's over? God's got something else. Now here's the amazing part. He tells him, I want you to go to Zarephah. And there's a widow there, and I have commanded her to provide for you. It's very interesting. The widow is in Zarephah. The widow is not in Israel. Jesus later in the New Testament says, of all the widows there were in the time of Elijah, None were sent to except the widow of Zarephath, meaning someone outside the people of God, which is an indictment against the people of God. So Elijah walks up, he comes to Zarephath, and he sees this woman. She's a widow, and she's gathering sticks. He says, excuse me, miss, 2019 version. Could you give me a glass of water? Sure. And she starts to go get it. He says, and would you also please bring me back a piece of bread? She stops at that point and turns. Now remember, the famine has been going on. And this is a widow. And she looks at him and she says, as surely as the Lord lives. Current day. Honest to God, dude. <laughs> Honest to God. <laughs> it was enough for me to go get you some water. But when you ask for the bread... All I have is a little bit of oil in my jar, a little bit of flour in my bowl. I'm gathering sticks because I'm going back home to make my final meal for me and my son so that we can eat it and die. I'm a widow. I've been on my own. It's hard to, to provide for my son, care for him at the same time. How do you do that, single mama? How do, you, how do you work and take care of the kid? My mama had to do that. It was a struggle for this woman. And now here comes this man who seems to be of sound mind and healthy and asking me to take care of him? Are you crazy? Like who, who would not think that unreasonable? I mean, anybody remember the Y2K moment? Some of y'all still got water in your basement, cans and all that. It was the clock was going to turn, everything dishes were going to be thrown off, our phones weren't going to work, and the world was going to be over. So everybody just stockpiled everything. Remember that? How many did all that stockpiling and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you're here. We know whose house to go to next time. You would think, maybe you would, God, if you need to provide for your servant, Elijah, send him to one of those cats who's been stockpiling for Y2K. Send him to somebody who has some means or some wealth because they've got enough to take care of themselves, their family, and this guy. But no, not God. God sends 
his servant to a widow who has nothing. She's gathering sticks. They're about to have their last meal and die. What kind of God does that? A loving God whose mercies are new every morning, who probably heard the cry of this woman saying, God, I'm at my last. I'm going to have a meal and we're going to die. It's over. Have you ever been at a point where you're left with your last or your only or all and it's not enough and you've come to that point where there's no way forward and you don't recognize that God is showing up in a moment and saying, here's a moment for you to keep me first in your life and watch me demonstrate that you are first in mine. He goes on and says, okay, I get it. I get it. Last little bit. Go on home and do like you said. But first, everybody say first. First, that's a word you need to get down inside of you. It's got to be in us. All through the New Testament, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. First is all the way through the Bible. There are people came up to Jesus, I'll follow you, but first let me. He's like, go on with yourself. Because if I'm not first, all bets are off. He won't accept second place in our lives. Because we're not second place in his. He just won't settle for second. The audacity of God. He made us and he expects us to keep him first. Amen. I heard that one over there. (laughs) And something happened in her. He wasn't just making a sales pitch. He spoke the word of the Lord. He says, but this is what the Lord says. The oil in your jar, the flour in your bowl, will not run out until the famine is over, until it rains again on the earth. He spoke it. The Spirit of the Lord was writing on his words, and it says faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing the Word of God. So when he spoke those words, two things are happening. He is obeying God and going to a widow. He might have had reservations. Lord, please don't send me to a widow. What do I look like going up to a widow asking her to feed me? So he had to obey God. Hello? Secondly, she had to obey God. Notice there was a little reluctance to do it at first. And this is very, this is a slow the frame down for a moment. It says that God spoke to Elijah saying, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Yet when he arrives and asks for bread, she's going, I don't have it to give to you. But she'd already been commanded. Why is it that she's commanded to do it, yet she seems to not know it? Because she hadn't heard the word of the Lord to receive faith, to activate what God had already said in her. So the moment he says, here's what the word of the Lord says to you. It won't dry up. It won't run out until it rains again. That hit her heart. She dropped those sticks. Or she took them, whatever she did. And she looked at her son and had to explain to him, I'm making something for this guy first and then we're going to eat. And I think if I was a son, I'd be like, come on, mama. <laughs> That's how sons are. Mom, let me go see this dude. I just, he, oh my God, look out for mama. Somebody trying to put one over. There was a period in our life when we were homeless, um, a very short period of time, homeless on the street, lived in a shelter, uh, and probably two years of our life when we were on public assistance, a.k.a. welfare. And I can't remember where we were. I know we weren't homeless or in the shelter when this happened. But <clears throat> we were poor. Uh, by American standards, not world standards. Um, I say we were so poor we couldn't say P-O-O-R. We just say P-O-P-O. 
We couldn't even afford the last two letters. We just po. Bad joke. Anyway. There was a homeless guy sitting over at Metro Center. And I was born in this city. Um, that building above it used to be Woolworth. We called it Woody's. Anybody been around long enough to remember Woody's? Christmas displays, the animated stuff. It was great. There was a man who was sitting there, broken, um, alone, hungry. My mom just has a mercy, compassion thing in her. Always has. We were in such great need ourselves. But there was a deli. She walked in and uh, she orders bread, cheese, bologna, and um, brings it out and sets the bag down and says, sir, this is for you. And he looked in the bag. He said, I don't want this stuff. Where are the cigarettes? And I was like, oh. ungrateful and and it's not like we got a lot mom what you doing and my mom said I'm just gonna leave it here for you he pushed it away from him and then we turned and walked off as we were walking off I was young enough at that point to be holding mom's hand and looking back and I looked back a man grabbed that bag and pulled it close to him I'm glad I got to see that like and I looked at my mom and I said yeah I'll, I guess she knows what she's doing she she didn't turn off the compassion thing even though we were suffering she gave even out of our poverty. I don't know this woman in the Bible, the widow, but that's the only point I can connect with her when I think about my mom. She had to explain it to her son. Son, this is going to be our last meal and die, but I'm encouraged. I think God's going to help us. I've been telling you now, God's going to show up. God's showing to show up. I don't know how he's going to show up, but we're trusting him. This guy came today. Da, 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 da. I was giving him a glass of water. And it's not like, Mom, what? Are you sure, Mom? And she makes a, uh, gives a piece of bread to the guy, and he eats it. And then the rest of the story says, so the oil in the jar did not run out, nor did the flour in the bowl run out. And all three of them ate every day until it started to rain again. That was God's supernatural provision. A woman who said, I'm going to keep God first in my life, I'm making a sacrifice. It's beyond what I think I ought or can do, but it's in keeping with the word of the Lord. And as a result, she found in the place of sacrifice, a place of supernatural provision. I want you to know something. The place of supernatural provision is sacrifice. It's two sides of the same coin. And she kept God first in her life. And can you imagine how that marked her? I think she was marked more by God showing up than just the food and the water that they had. Amen. Amen. As we're walking through the blessed life, my prayer is, God, would you help us be those who keep you first in our lives? What does it look like for us personally, individually, to keep God in our lives? To know that he's shielding us, he's providing for us. Anybody here just realize, hey, there's something in my heart where there needs to be greater alignment or some adjustment with regard to God being first? Is there any room to kind of, I need to move this aside and make room for the king to be first? Anybody say, yeah, there's, there's some adjustment, some alignment in 2019. Come on, raise your hand if, if there's any application. We're going to pray in just a moment. 
And there may be people here who God has never been first in your life at any point in time, or maybe so long ago, but you drifted away like the nation did. I'm asking God that he would be first in our nation, but a nation like ours is made up of states, and those states are made up of cities, and those cities are made up of counties and communities and districts, and those are made up of families, and those families are made up of individuals. And so that means it has to start with an individual saying, God, be first in my life if it's ever going to be that you're first in our nation. So if you're here today and you say, I want to begin a relationship with God being first in my life, would you raise your hand? You don't have to stand or come forward, but if there's anybody who, this is the first time you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, just hold your hand up so we can pray with you and for you. Okay, if you need to talk with someone afterwards, there'll be a team that comes forward to pray and our connection centers afterwards. Uh, but let's just stand and pray. <clears throat> Father, I'm asking, in a room like this, there are people who find themselves at a point of need. And they need a swift resolution. It may be relational. It might be a relationship with someone. It might be in their family or their marriage. It might be a sibling, a child, a grandparent, a parent. It might be something with regard to their education. In our city and in this church, we have lots of students. It could be something that's financial. I don't know what every individual need is in this room. But I'm asking for this church that you would be kept first in us, that we would keep you first in our lives, that we would keep you first in the expression of worship that flows from us, that it wouldn't be just us singing songs, but when we sing songs, those songs reflect and come from a heart where you're first, that in our workplace, the way we serve, that we do our work as unto you, not just our employer, because some of us have employers where we feel they're not deserving of our best, but you are, but you are, so may we do our work as unto you, and that be our way of keeping you first in our lives. Lord, for some people, it's a challenge to give. They feel, I don't have enough to live on. Neither did the widow, but she trusted you and kept you first in her life, and she never lacked. I pray that people who don't tithe would begin to, out of a heart of devotion, say, I want to give to God. I want to say thanks. My little girl learned to one day open the bag and offer M&Ms before I asked. May we, like kids, come run to you and say, you're, you're the best, and you're first in my life, and everything I have in my hand is yours, and I want to honor you with it. Lord, I pray for that deposit in this church. I pray for the individuals here. There are people here struggling. Some people have a vision for their life and it hasn't, been, it hasn't come to pass. They feel like they've hit a roadblock. Lord, may you be kept first in their life. Someone is struggling with their health. Someone's here because they're concerned about someone else's health. And they, it brought them here today because they're burdened by someone else's physical well-being. Lord, I pray for that person who came and the one who is sick, that you'd make the one sick well, but you'd also heal and touch something in the one who came. 
for those who are government workers who who've suffered through this, Lord, they've been crushed in this moment and, and discouraged. Would you be first in their lives and let their confidence grow in you so that when this is over, they become more, not just had more restored. We believe you for all these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.